So, uh, yes, it was a very difficult journey, very difficult journey, but that was our guiding force. That was our lighting is how can we depict this, this, this horror through beauty? How can we go into the hardest, like the darkest part of humanity, this odyssey into the darkness? Can we create a vehicle of hope and talking with the cinematographer? Can we make the lighting a character? Can we make everything more symbolic or can we remind the audience that they're watching a movie? Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In this episode, a former government agent turned vigilante embarks on a dangerous mission to rescue children from sex traffickers in director Alejandro Monteverde's drama, Sound of Freedom. After rescuing a young boy from a trafficking ring, a federal agent learns the boy's sister is still captive and decides to quit his job and embark on a dangerous mission deep in the Colombian jungle to save her. In addition to Sound of Freedom, Monteverde's other directorial credits include the feature films Bella and Little Boy, and the shorts Waiting for Trains and Bacho. Following a screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Monteverde spoke with director Alonso Alvarez Barreta about filming Sound of Freedom. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Hello, hello. How's it going, guys? Thank you for showing up. Uh, thank you for coming and watching uh, the film with us. And um, I really appreciate you guys being here. Um, I want to give a big applause to my mentor, uh, my best friend, um, and an amazing artist for this film. Thank you uh, for putting this out there. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Muchas gracias. De nada. And by the way, I'm going to apologize if my English starts falling apart a little bit. Um, I'll, Don't I'll worry, mine is worse. So. <laughs> all right. Perfect. Um, all right. So I got a couple of questions here for you. And um, here we go. So I, a, a, a little bit of a quick story. I know Alejandro almost to maybe 20 years. And so he basically is my, um, I'm his adoptive son. He's the one that brought me to the United States. And um, um, when I couldn't find a way to make film school, he brought me here and um, taught me everything he knows. Um, so I know this guy pretty well. And so the first thing I, want to see, I wanted to say about this uh, movie that obviously, mm, it's been um, a lot of controversy. It's been a lot of, um, it's been um, in a lot of news articles. Um, and to me, where I stand from knowing this man right here is, um, first of all, he's um, a purist, a great artist, um, a family man. And um, I think the work that you choose to do uh, starting with your first feature film, Bella, in in 20, 2006, six, correct? Five, six, yes. Which you won the Toronto Film Festival, the People's Choice Award. 
I've seen you pick your projects. I've read for you. I worked for you for a long time. And you really tackle big projects that you really believe in. Um, I've seen you pass on scripts that ended up becoming blockbusters. Um, because for you, what I've seen is that you really, really need to connect with something. So why Sound of Freedom? Uh, knowing that it's a controversial issue, that it's a tough movie to make, it might not be for everyone. Um, not a lot of brave people will tackle something like that. For you, why Sound of Freedom? Well, before I answer that question, I just want to say uh, this is a very special moment, even though it's not a full theater. Uh, it means more than if I was in a theater with like 3,000 people. This is why. It's the DGA theater. And I remember... <laughs> I remember when I became DGA, for me, that was equal as an Oscar. You know? I was like, God, finally, you know? <laughs> so when they called me, you know, we, right now the movie is coming out all around the world. And I just found out today driving here that the film is number one in all Latin America. I think it's over like 25 countries. So it's very exciting. And I was in New York yesterday and I said, just even, I know it's Sunday. I was like, the chances there is going to be any people, maybe I was expecting maybe seven people. This is way more than, than my expectation. But I say it's a DGA just to be seated here. Uh, I think it's my first time. It's my third film, but it's my first time uh, being here in a Q&A. So I'm very grateful. So, and now back to the question, why, <laughs> why Sound of Freedom? Uh, for me, there's two kinds of films, the ones that I want to make and the ones that I'm called to make. I still have not made one that I, uh, I want to make. I have a lot of them. Um, this was a calling. I didn't wake up one day to say, I want to make a movie about child trafficking. No, I actually came really ho home in 2015, very tired. And at that time, there was not like today that you have the, your iPad and you get to watch. At that time, it was called, for those people that are my age, it was the BTR. You know, you recorded the shows that you like. <laughs> and I liked a lot of the newsreels, news reports, uh, NBC, 60 Minutes, 2020, Daylight NBC, all that stuff. And I saw a 15-minute piece on that. And I knew that time I have to do something about that. The next day, actually that night, it was late. I woke up my wife, obviously. Got a, a little like, <laughs> don't wake me up. Uh, the next day, I call my co-writer, Rod Barr, who's here. Rod Barr. Rod Barr, stand up. <laughs> yes, sir. And I say, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about diving in into child trafficking, not just child trafficking, child pornography, you know, the production of child sexual exploitation videos. What do you think about doing a film about that to create awareness and shine a light on that? And I heard a little silence. And as a good writer, he says, well, what's the story? I say, well, let's, 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 let's figure it out. And next thing you knew, we started writing a, a fiction. And next thing you know, as a research, we got to meet Tim Ballard to find more research on him. And we both realized that 
his story surpassed our fiction. And that's how we end up writing a screenplay and a movie about his life. Now, this is 2000, late 2015, early 2016. Um, none of this controversy that has been around existed at that time. So Rod and I decided to dive in deeply and we started the journey. It was a journey, an odyssey into the darkness. And we started doing research. My research on my end was to watch any movie that was on child trafficking. And there was a lot of European films on that and I couldn't finish them because they were too shocking. And I knew right then that the goal was to make a movie that audiences could actually finish and not walk out in the middle of the film. So that was our guiding force. And um, it took us around two years to uh, write the script. And we had to take, like in any biopic, has to take creative license until and fight with Tim Ballard. So he would allow us to actually, you know, most of the biopics, your subject is no longer alive. And this one, he was there reading every page and telling us that's not how it happened. So, um, but we're here. Thank you. Um, so my next question was obviously the, the subject matter of your film. It's, it's a harsh one um, uh, and it's devastating and, and um, personally, I watched the film a couple of times and it's very stunning. Um, it was very stunningly done. Stunningly, is that a word? I don't even, is that a word? I think so. Yeah. And, and, and so. In international English. <laughs> so I, I was curious um, for you as a filmmaker, when you, when you go into the darkness, how you're saying just now as a filmmaker, um, as a director, uh, tackling this film, was there some visual stuff that you're trying to stay away from? Was there any any particular thing that you were very sensitive about? I know you're a father of three. Uh, we've had a lot of conversations in our lives about your your children and your fears as a father. So now with the responsibility of this, um, was there something that you in the back of your head like my 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 kids maybe see this movie later? Yeah. What was the how did you tackle this? into a cinematic piece. Yeah, that was a great question. Thank you. So my my kids just saw the film. The premiere in Mexico was three days ago or four days ago, maybe three, I don't know. But that was the first time my kids saw the film. And he's, one is 10, the other one is 12, and the other one is 15. And I wanted to make a movie that children could actually watch in a way that would not scar them. So visually, I do believe we listen with our eyes. And this was, you know, a lot of the times to create simplicity requires way more complexity than we think. And there's nothing simple about this film. And, you know, it breaks my heart when, because I make movies for the audience, but obviously you can't escape the critics. And, you know, I, I, I respect them all, but one thing I don't agree is this is an easy movie to make. Okay, go ahead and try to make it and try to make it entertaining and try to make more than, they just told me that more than 20 million Americans have seen the film. So that was the greatest challenge of all. Thank you. It's how to make a film to use beauty to depict the greatest horror the human beings are capable of. 
how do you achieve that? And brought myself and my cinematographer, and including Alonso, one thing Alonso has been uh, uh, very uh, humble. He did a lot of the second units uh, uh, directing on this film. Um, and and um, it was later on I found out that, you know, he almost, he had, he gave it all in, in, in the film. So thank you. Thank you for having me. In front of everybody. Because, you know, a lot of times when you're making a movie, you don't appreciate the work that everybody does because you're so in it. And uh, later on, I realized, I was like, how do you get that shot? <laughs> and I was like, I will ask him, he was like, man, I got in the water up to here. The two boats were almost decapitated in my head, man, just to get you that shot that you wanted. And you still were not happy. So uh, thank you. <laughs> so uh, yes, it was a very difficult journey, very difficult journey. But that was our guiding force. That was our lighting. Is how can we depict this 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 horror through beauty? How can we go into the hardest, like the darkest part of humanity, this odyssey into the darkness? Can we create a vehicle of hope? And talking with the cinematographer, can we make the lighting a character? Can we make everything more symbolical? Can we remind the audience that they're watching a movie? So one of the things that have been criticized in here, we did in purpose, which it hurts, but that's it. They didn't get it, but we did it in purpose. We didn't want it to make real. We actually wanted to remind you, you're watching a movie. The idea from the beginning was, let's create like if we were watching a Broadway show. You're, not, you're gonna be able to watch a Broadway show about this theme, no problem. You're gonna be able to watch a play about this, pro, about this issue, no problem. But if we were to shoot this in a more neuralistic approach, Good luck. I think we will we will have very difficult to have to keep the audiences in the film. And that's why the movie was on the shelf for so long, was because they didn't think there was an audience for a movie like this. So it it, it was a very very challenging uh, project to tackle and to navigate. Um, piggybacking on your on your answer, I was able to watch the movie. I went to watch uh, when it came out uh, July fourth, like maybe like a week after. I saw it in a theater. Um, and me personally, I was curious of seeing around who came to the movie and the movie was packed. The theater was packed and I was kind of looking around to see if there was kids because me, I was wondering if I had children, I have no children, like what is the age for this movie? And, um, even working on it and, and following your lead, I was very surprised that I saw a, a lot of teenagers and a lot of parents with their kids Nobody walked out of the movie. It was, in my opinion, it's so tastefully done, and yet it's still heart wrenching. Um, and so, just going back, I'm not letting you go easy. What did your kids say when when they saw the movie? When they see you and they see all the press or hearing things on there, uh, um, were you intended to be able to make a tough movie like this for uh, younger audience as well? And um, and uh, how, how does that been? Do you have your friends with kids that have told you something? And, and how does that been for you? Wow. That's a really good question, man. You know, uh, right after they saw it, I had to fly um, to another country. So you got me thinking I should ask him. <laughs> I have not asked him. Um, I'll ask you another time. Yeah. I, 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 I literally arrived last night. All right. But I'm going to ask him tonight um, 
or do they thought? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sure my, my wife, my wife spoke, spoke to them and they kind of knew, but we were very careful to not also, I don't we don't want children to be living in fear. So, um, the 10 year old and the 12 year old, I'm sure they don't know the details of what happened to kids that are kidnapped. They just saw kids being taken. Um, but that's, that's one of the things, but one, one, another thing that I want to acknowledge I know we, we don't have much time. It's a film is done by, it's not like a painting that you can just paint yourself. You know, all, all of, most of you here are, are directors, uh, storytellers. It's a combination of starts on the writing then starts on the shooting. And that's why I, I always refuse to say DP because he reduces, he's a director of photography. We listen with our eyes. So I respect the director of photography because he's directing the story with the director. Um, but also there is all these other elements that come, which is the editor and the sound. And there's a design that comes for a movie like this, the composer to be able to, so the audience can digest this darkness. How can we have the audience to digest this darkness? And we knew, let's tell them they're watching a show and they'll continue to watch. The minute it gets too real, it's too much. And that combo was a combo that we knew from the beginning, but I just want to recognize uh, the editor, Brian Schofield, and our, our sound designer, Nathan Ruili, who's they're both here. So thank you guys, because this is a, a, a combination of, of uh, as everybody that is here that are directors, you know, if you take the credit, shame on you. You know, this is a, a collective work uh, that you're as good as your team, period. Whoever disagrees about that, we have good to night. talk. Um, so... Uh, I we talked a little bit about this and we've all been reading the news and, and me personally, um, that I know you for such a long time and, 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 um, obviously I've admired you and you're a big, big, um, inspiration to me. I've seen this phenomenon that happened with your movie. Um, um, we shot it in 2018. You worked with Rod, uh, a couple of years before that, um, uh, you know, draft after draft tackling this insane movie in Colombia with very little money that does, um, uh, it, I think it's an amazing achievement. I know when they say 14 million, I'm like 14 million, yeah. we got three. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so the movie obviously looks, um, bigger and that's a, quite a, a, an accomplishment. Um, and so me on the sidelines watching you, um, going to your personal, ordeal when the movie failed to achieve uh, a theatrical back when it was supposed to and seeing you, you know, be around that and, and also focusing on the next project to keep it going, but also feeling disappointed and sad because I know you, you worked really hard on this movie and all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, years later, uh, years later, which sounds crazy, um, you wake up and it becomes like this massive phenomenon beating box office, beating all the odds. And, um, 
with whatever people might think out there, either A-list actors, B-list actors, the movie obviously transcended that. Um, and me personally, I get upset because I read all this stuff uh, surrounding the movie that um, as Mexicans, we both are from the same hometown, Tampico. It's a very interesting thing coming to this country and putting a, a piece of art or, or something out there. And um, I don't know, you, you have more experience than me, but there's an interesting approach in the audiences in the United States where they want to kind of see where you stand, who, what you're about, what your beliefs are. Almost more of a priority rather than just experiencing the film. So with that being said, me on the sidelines watching, watching you kind of be quiet, be peaceful with what you've done to now coming out after July 4th when the movie came out, which is, you know, a month, a month after, month and change. Because I know you're a, a private guy, you're a guy that just do, does the work uh, to now come out of this, um, to say your piece of the story and the elephant in the room. The question is, um, out of all the conspiracies, and I know you as a human being before as a filmmaker, and I know you're a, an amazing father and a filmmaker first and foremost. How does that, because also in your career, since Bella came out and your second film came out, I feel like there's all sort of like a, they want to <laughs> pigeonhole you in, 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 a, in, a, in a thing. And when this movie hits and it's probably going to come closer to 500 million in the box office. Thank you. Um, uh, a movie that I'm was- I'm not making a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> and so what is, um, how do you, why now, why you felt the need to come out and say your, your piece? And, and, um, and uh, I feel like this is the time that, that you can, for the audience, um, say what I know what you're going to say and how I know you as a, as a person, why making well, this movie? You know, I, the reason I, I decided to talk is here, Brian Schofield, the editor. He called me one day and he said, hey man, this movie's been labeled in every single way except the truth. You need to go and talk. And I said, I really, uh, you know, it's uh, just first, I'm always behind the camera. So I, I you know, it's going to be difficult, but I felt the responsibility because all the artists that came to do this film, we didn't do it to be labeled. Now, I think labeling each other is one of the most cruel things we can do to each other. There's nothing more cruel than that. It is actually one of the most cruel things, more when they label you incorrectly. Just to begin, you should never label anything, by the way. But if you, uh, you dare to label something, you better be an expert. It's like if you're going to label the medicine, you should be a doctor or a, a chemist. Like You really should be able to know how to label it because if you label it incorrectly, you're really destroying so when this movie got labeled, I thought that the movie was, that's it. You can't survive more if the labeling comes from the major networks. It's like, how do you survive that? But then you get the, the light. You know, this movie is about exploring the darkness. And for me, the light was the audience. The, the audience are the ones that came and defended us. And all of a sudden, not just the audience, some people inside the media started calling and say, this is not right. It's all, there's so many things that are completely incorrect. And they were allowed, you know, so grateful that they shared the mic to speak the truth. What was the motive? And if you look at the data and you look at the numbers and you look at the math, nothing makes sense. 
Because when we started this movie, all of these accusations of the conspiracy theories and all these things did not even exist. So the data doesn't lie. The numbers doesn't lie. The intention was so pure. It was just to create. That was when Rod and I talked. Can we make a movie to create a social dialogue? A movie that begins when the movie ends. So we can start talking about it. Now, does this really exist? When we were writing the script, we were even like confronting that. Is this really happening? We don't really know. We're not experts. You know, people ask us, are like, man, like right now, one of the many films I want to make, this is not, I'm not called to make, so I don't know if I'm ever going to make it. It's a movie about tennis. I've never held a racket in my life. So if you ask me about tennis, I'm not going to be like, I don't know. I just love one versus one. That's intense. And there's a massive, you can really create an amazing story about that. This was a little bit about that, the intent, the, the, and that was the purity of the tennis. Now, if you translate it to this, the motive of this was just to create, that's what we were writing a fiction in the beginning, is to create a social dialogue, to create awareness, because that can really start a conversation and conversation can really start a change in many different ways. So that was it. So I was really heartbroken when all these labels started coming out and some of them were ridiculous. Like at one point, you know, I was like, well, the next label should be that the Martians, you know, came and funded the film. You know, at one point <laughs> it was so out of hand that I was like, well, if you look at the end credits, I don't know if you saw it. They're not little names. I'm not going to mention them. But they're like, if this was done in the late 1800s, this is Rockefellers and the Bandelbjörds in there. So one of them is like, was this conspiracy theory funded the film? I'm like, we have, we have the biggest name, the most wealthiest people in America. Their names are there. They funded the film. So did you saw the film? And a lot of the times I just think that we unfortunately lost our own voice. Now we're like becoming like a collective voice. I'm like, look, if you hate the film, but because you hated it, man, I'll buy you a bottle of wine. But if you <laughs> hated it because your neighbor hated it, that, you know, you should watch, we should all like watch our own and give our own opinions. And that was the only thing that I was really hurt about when all of this was happening. But at the same time, I was really relieved when the audience came out and they are the ones that pretty much defended the film. Well, I, um, that was the short answer. <laughs> no, I, I personally feel, um, that, that the movie has, uh, independently of how the audiences feel like uh, about it. I think it has started a dialogue. I think a lot of the movies that, that make an impact, it's because they carry power and, and, um, there's no doubt in my mind, the people that have seen the movie that I've experienced with. Uh, the movie is powerful. So congratulations on that. And, you know, labels and, and all that stuff in the end, that means the movie is doing something right. And so um, that's been really great for me to watch you. Uh, and I hope you're enjoying a little bit of this uh, madness at the same time. Um, and to wrap it up, because they just flashed me the five minute card. Um, there's, uh, I'm going to ask you five questions that we can squeeze really quick. Now, um, so um, there's been a lot of controversy as well as some people saying that they're embellishing 
Tim Ballard's operations, the actual rates and all of that stuff. And uh, I love that in an interview, interview you said, uh, well, the film is inspired by true events. It's not based on true events. So for those people that are trying to like, like uh, create some, some controversy about that, uh, what can you say about your creative license when you get together with somebody who's, you know, his life work is what he's been doing with these children. How do you tackle something where, uh, as a filmmaker, you come to him and say, look, your story is amazing, but I want to expand yeah. into this. That's the first question. So before five minutes. And the second is what are the directors that inspire you? What are, um, wh where were you taking inspiration from? And the last one, which is a trip combo question is what can you tell us about your next project, uh, called Cabrini? And, uh, and the fourth, no, I'm joking. It's just two questions. What was the first question? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, it's about a uh, team. Uh, oh, yeah. how do you so, tackle that? So it's, uh, I'm going to give short answers because of the time. Um, it's a biopic. My favorite, one of my favorite films is Amadeus, you know, it, the way it opens is like, you know, the more creative license you're taking a biopic as long you, you dramatize when you make a biopic, you dramatize elements to explore a truth. And that's what we did in, 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 in Sound of Freedom, period. Every single biopic is like that. I have no idea why all of a sudden this biopic had to be looked in the most. It is a biopic. I'll be the first one to say that I took a lot of creative license as much as I could, but I was limited. So I will say that 75 to 80% of what you saw happened exactly how it happened. Now, when we asked Tim Ballard, did they put a gun into your head? He said, not in Colombia. I say, well, where? In Haiti. Perfect. It's happening in <laughs> Colombia. And that's what you do, right? So you're the minute you're not have Tim Ballard playing himself, guess what? It's an actor playing the guy. So it is a biopic and I don't understand why with those attacks. Second question. The second question is what directors oh. or artists do you take inspiration from? And, and if, if you know, well, Rano, you know, uh, uh, I, I'm going to be a student until my death. I'll, um, I'm continue to study. I, every time I see a movie, I don't enjoy it. I'm studying it unless it's not a movie in stand-up comedy or, or any of that. That's how I, but movies, any movie I, I studied and I continue to study. So there is a filmmaker, Andrei Tarkovsky, who has played a big, big part. And I attempted to shoot a movie just like him. And that's Cabrini, where there is very little coverage and everything. It's literally edited in camera. Uh, my editor is here. He will be calling me. He's like, dude, can you at least do a pickup? I'm like, no, because if I do it, you're going to use it. So uh, I, had, I went there and we did it. It is a very, very complex, uh, to me, to us, it's a, uh, so hold a on, cinematic hold on. accomplishment. Because you got convoluted there. So Andrew Tchaikovsky is a big experience for you. And Cabrini, nobody knows what Cabrini oh, is now. So yeah, Cabrini is, Cabrini, my what new, is Cabrini? our new film that is coming out in theaters March 8th. Um, it was pushed be because of of the success of, of Sign of Freedom. So completely different film, but it's a movie about the power of the woman's voice. And it's a, a, a movie about the immigrant that came to this country. She was an immigrant that came with nothing and was able to build an empire as big as the Rockefellers and the Vanderbilt's, but it's, it was an empire to help others. So all of her wealth was put back into the streets for all the kids that were dying and so on. 
but if she was a woman and she defied all the, she's the antagonist on this movie is institutional. So she, she defied all the institutions that were ran by men. So it's a powerful, powerful film, but the way it was shot, it was all choreographed. Um, it was very, very little, uh, the way it was shot, it was very complicated. And that comes all thanks to Tarkovsky, which is also very operatic. Uh, and another filmmaker that I really like is from Mexico. And I was just looking at the pictures outside. And that picture is amazing. It's Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu. With, you know, with the way you look at a tie, you know that El Chivo shot that because you can see the, yeah, the, the you know, the mist in there. Yeah. Um, but I, I learned from every director. Uh, uh, every director, those are the two that come that come to mind, uh, Orson Welles and, you know, all the, I'm sure all the same directors that you look up to, uh, you look up to. Well, congratulations on the success of the movie. Just to wrap it up, say the name of the movie that's coming out, your next movie. Cabrini. 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 And I just want to wrap this up. It's an honor and thank you because I really thought that was going to be, I told him, I was like, hey man, it may be seven or eight people. So really grateful to be sitting on this chair you know, to be sitting with Alonso here and sharing this film with you guys, with directors, with the Red Seats at the DGA. It is one of the uh, bucket in the bucket list. So thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America.